Yo, you be going deep with it, son. I go deep. Yeah, you I go deep, deep ladies, and, ladies and gentlemen. I'm James Samuel, <laughs> the illest storyteller on the planet. <laughs> Just enjoy your majestic Elohim Supreme. The message. Spotlighting the most important voices of today with Ebro. An open dialogue about their experiences in these times and the music that inspires them. Welcome back to The Message. It's me, Ebro Dart, and I host this program as we sit down for Black History Month. My friend, he's also a director, writer, composer, James Samuel. He did Harder They Fall, the Black Western, and now the new Bible epic, The Book of Clarence. Me and James go way back, and he's always got some insightful things to say. So lock in, get comfy, and listen to Mr. Samuel, my guy, on the message. His message, obey your crazy. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, another conversation called The Message. I'm Ebro, and this is my friend James Samuel. You may have heard his name, The Book of Clarence, out right now in all theaters everywhere. Um, Your second feature film. Yeah. Because I don't want to call it your second film, because you've made a lot of content. Yeah. And film and indie, and you've done other work before. You've Mm -hmm. made a lot of music, which we can get into some of that talk, too. Uh, But you told me about this film, I want to say was... Years ago, Ebro. I would have told you... Because me and you go back. Yeah. So we were cooking, we were talking about The Harder They Fall over 10 years ago. That's right. In Jerry Wonder's studio. That's right. Shout out to Jerry Wonder, Platinum yeah. Sound and the whole thing. Exactly. So me and you would have been speaking about this movie prob- probably around then, speaking about religion probably around then or, or just after. I think, I think the minimum it could have been was eight, nine years ago. We would have been, been touching on mm-hmm. Book of Clarence. And then we would have spoken about it more when I released The Harder They Fall. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah. So this has been a plan of yours for a long time. What was the, for both films, mm-hmm. Harder They Fall and this film, Yeah. what was the hardest hurdle, because it's not the creative, mm-hmm. what was the hardest hurdle in getting these out to the people? Well, firstly, for The Harder They Fall, was convincing black people mm. that we existed in cowboy days. Mm. I don't really have that much trouble with white folks. <laughs> It's black people. No, no, no. We, we we didn't. Bass Reeves was Lone Ranger. Now they got a whole show. Yeah, Bass exactly, Reeves on exactly. Net. To the point, Ebro, you were around when I made They Die by Dawn, my That's short right. film, right? That's right. They did an interview with Bass Reeves' great grandson, I think two weeks ago or something, in the New York Post. It was like a, a proper article. He said that he didn't know his uh, ancestor was a famous cowboy and the inspiration for The Lone Ranger until he saw James Samuel's They Die By Dawn. Wow. That shows that even Bass Reeves' family didn't know right. Bass Reeves existed. You know what well, I mean? Well, I guess in some context, if you think about who Bass Reeves was, he was just living his life. Living his life. So it wasn't really a... Yeah. It wasn't a story to be told. To be told. It was exactly. just, I'm me. Exactly. I'm just a G in... <laughs> In, and he wasn't in the Old West. He right. was living his life in present day. That's right. right. It became the Old West when Hollywood got a hold of it. So that was my hardest um, hurdle. With the, with the Book of Clarence, you know, when we're t- talking about religious themes, the hardest hurdle is always convincing people you're not blaspheming, mm. right? Convincing people that, that you know, th- these other characters existed in the biblical era. Right. Jesus himself did not speak English. There was no these and thous, right? He was speaking uh, Hebrew. He was speaking Hebrew, right? And Aramaic. And right. like so it's kind of the mentality you have to you have to realign 
people's mentality into into the way of thinking that there was a, an entire world at that t- at that time and all manner of people in that in the in the mm. days of of the Christ and that was more the hardest hurdle but outside of that you know how we are we're just like we like the smoke we like the we like the challenge like okay huh, hold my testament we just go and make the right. you know, go and make right. and tell the story whatever the story is we're telling we just go and tell it your message uh, to people, you know, on the message we like to ask uh, trailblazers like yourself, brave mm. creatives like yourself, uh, what is your message? Uh, it says here, this is was delivered. Now, I, you know, since this got delivered to me, mm-hmm. I want to make sure this is your message. My message is to obey your crazy. Obey your crazy. What's that mean? Obey your crazy means when you're a kid, you're told, think positive. The sky is the limit. The older you get, don't count your chickens before they hatch, mm. right? People, people always ask me, what advice would you give your younger self? And I always tell them, I wouldn't give my younger self any advice. I'll take advice from him. Old folks shouldn't give advice to young kids. Kids don't even dream. They fly. The older you get, the more you're taught to level down. The older you get, the more you're taught, taught things aren't possible. You can't make that movie, it's too big. You can't, a Western, your debut movie, a, a biblical movie, we've never had one of these in 136 years of cinema. Obey your crazy. You're taught to believe crazy is a negative word. But if the whole world is sane, who wants to be that? Obey your crazy, those thoughts you have, those aims, those plans, those desires, they are not dreams. They're real things. The moment we embrace the word dreams in place of aims, plans, and ambitions, and intentions, we embrace the word failure. You dream when you're you're sleeping, but these aims and plans and intentions you have, they're real things. Obey your crazy. Your crazy would always lead you to the kingdom. If you you don't, and you listen to people trying to sealing your destination with their own limitations, then you'll always be a person that could have been. So who did that for you, James? Prince. Mm. Prince, literally, the minute I was introduced to Prince, as I was always surrounded by people that kind of obeyed their crazy yeah. anyway. And my mum, you know, she named me James and spelt it J-E-Y-M-E-S. I didn't know what that meant. So I just, I just used to look at it and go, okay, just enjoy your majestic Elohim supreme. That's what it means. But my mum always... Um, obeyed her crazy but the minute like I, I liked Prince like I got into Prince as a kid this is just a guy who was his own rule book broke every single is like thoroughly into girls but wears high heels and blouses and his his whole uh, his musicianship his his musicianship but what he was talking about when people I'm glad we're doing this on this show I love Ebro man I love my brother because I'm going to say something. When people say Michael Jackson versus Prince, mm. okay, who's better, Michael Jackson versus Prince? That's unfair. We shouldn't pit ourselves against it's each other. It's apples and... It's apples and oranges. Apples but, and Oreos. But it's apples <laughs> and Oreos, right? But notice, there is no competition. If you mention Michael Jackson and you bring up a Michael Jackson song, there's about 100 people on that joint. There's Quincy Jones, Rod Temperton, Maybe James Ingram running in and out. Eddie Van Halen, longer time. I'm just saying, like, there's a million people against one guy by himself. What? The, the song you name a Prince? Any song? One guy. 
by himself. I mean, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, who gave us Janet Jackson, came from the time, came from Prince. Like, Prince is just his own mm. individual, just this own guy. He would say things in, in records, and I used to read this as a kid. I used to marvel at the genius of his lyricism. In a pop song like Raspberry Beret, he'll say, Rain sounds so cool when it hits the barn roof and the horses wonder who you are. Thunder drowns out with lightning seas and you feel like a movie star. Rain sounds so cool when it hits the barn roof and the horses wonder who you are. Thunder drowns out with the lightning seas and you feel like a movie star. Who, this guy's the illest musician we've ever had, bar none. He's the best ever. Forget there is no competition. But he obeyed his crazy, right? And just as a kid, I wanted to right. make sure I obeyed my crazy. I would write, I'd produce, I'd perform, I'd direct, I'd, I'd write all the songs and compose and, and just do all of the things that I felt come naturally to me. And I would hold on to those things and I would have success in both areas on a really high, majestic almost level. You know what I mean? Just obeying your crazy. Obey your crazy, man. This is uh, James Samuel. And uh, he's got a playlist in here, and you got Prince on here, mm -hmm. so we might as well hit. The, now I'm, you you put at the number two song. What I feel is, I mean, it's Prince's first album. Mm -hmm. I feel, and I think the song might be two minutes long. <clears throat> oh my god! Now, now, crazy now, you, Matt Ebro is the illest slow song. Matt Ebro, I love my Ebro. I love my Ebro. I love my Ebro. Yo, it's real so talk. short. Why did he make it so, so short? short? Why, Prince? That's how ill with that the guy rain is. stick in it. <laughs> yeah, Ebro, and only gods, only the black gods <laughs> know about crazy you. Yo, crazy you. I love bro. my Ebro, man. Only the black gods know about cra crazy you. Yeah, you got a strange way about you, kind of crazy. But I love you just the same. You, all you make me want to do, mm, everything beautiful. It's, it's, it's the epitome of a slow jam. The epitome of a slow jam. Crazy You is the reason why I've always loved the rain more than the sun. Wow. You can hear the rain on Crazy You. Yeah, he loves right? it. Like, you can hear the rain on Crazy You. Like, you can hear the rain. The rain makes music. You can't hear the sun. The sun's beautiful. It's the reason we're all here. It gives us energy. But I used to waste time in the hood, in the sun. I knew the only way out of the hood, there's two ways out of the hood, the pen mm. or the pen, mm. right? But when the sun's out, man, you probably, you probably end up in the pen. <laughs> yeah. When it's raining. The rain makes you think. The rain makes you think, man. You go to the pen. Go to the pen, you can write your way out of that circumstance. And Crazy You is that is that song that, that gives us that. that That's number two, yo, you put that you. number two. Number two, number yo, two. Yo, listen, let's run that. And then we'll, let's play your brother just because we got to play yeah, Seal. Yeah, we got to yeah, play yeah, your brother. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people don't know that's that's James' brother, Seal. Yeah. Shout yeah. out to Seal wherever Shout you are. Shout out to Seal, he's in, he's in Los Angeles right now. And, um, is that like, like now, growing up with somebody that is at that level of a performer, mm -hmm. Cause he he's older by yeah 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 bunch of years yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so growing up with someone that's that you can see that uh -huh. yeah did that change or help shape in some way your perception of what you needed your creative path to be and how you saw success I think it changed how I saw 
I think the only thing it did was was because I was still in the hood. Yeah. So I think the only thing it did was demystify mm. the industry. Okay. Right. You know, like when you're when you're growing up, especially at that at that age, Ebro, like as a child, you ordinarily would think that it's impossible to get into this industry, and it's and it's you know it's a big leap from where where we were. But for me, the whole solar system was always mine. I always thought like that, and my brother doing what he was doing on a huge level, performing stadiums around the globe, and it it demystified it for mm. me. It, it took it made me know that whatever was in my head, or it reaff reaffirmed whatever was in my head was attainable. Mm. No matter how hard it seemed, it's attainable. Like everything's everything's attainable. It's doable. Yeah, yeah. I used to look at um, the word time. And I used to ask my mom at 11 years old, mommy, does time mean this is my era? She said, no, and then she would explain to me the meaning of time. As I got gotten older, whatever the exp explanation of time I heard was, I still think it means this is my era. I think for everyone on the planet, whether you're your first day of your first, you, you've seen your first sunrise, or you're seeing your last sunset, right? At 106 years old, the time you're on the planet, this is your era, right? And everything in, in the world is, is, is part of your story, your movie, as it were. And so it's a part of, it's a part of you. We are, all, we are all parts of everything and, and nothing was impossible to attain. You know what I mean? The Message Playlist, uh, available right now on Apple Music. Everybody go check out The Book of Clarence, which, you know, I'll let you speak, but how I feel as uh, someone who, you know, was raised in Hebrew school, also went to a Pentecostal church, have, you know, Jewish mother, black family. Um, this is such an important piece because a couple things are missing from people's programming of history. You did it with Harder They Fall, which is we don't see black faces or associate black people with, I'm using air quotes, the Wild West, even though that was properly post-Civil War. Exactly, exactly. And black people were, were figuring out what their life after the plantation exactly, would be. Exactly, exactly. But it was never captured. Never captured, never captured. Right? One of the four cowboys was black. The name cowboys was given to black people. White folks were called cow hands. That's like, right. Not, hot, not boys. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The, the white people never called each other boys. So they kind of just remixed the Old West and gave us this version of the Old West, which was inco incorrect. And, and, you know, like with the, with the Book of Clarence, you know, they've never shown us. Well, many biblical movies have been made, but for some reason they would... They, we know why, racism and white supremacy. They love to remix that Middle East region as if there are no dark-complected human beings there. there. When the, literally the whole thing is brown, black, dark-complected human Exa beings. Ex exactly. Like Especially at this time, 2,000 years ago. Pre-all the integration that there is. Now. And the descriptions of people those days, and even in the, in the hieroglyphics. Yeah. Like, we've had a lot of evidence to show that People of color and black people were around those times. I mean, I love Yul Brynner as an actor. I love Yul Brynner.
but you, Brenner, does not look like any Egyptian I know. <laughs> Nor does he look like the king of Siam. <laughs> like, you, Brenner, that guy could play anything. Right. I know a lot. Let me, let me, let me check. Hmm. Yes. I know a lot of white folks. I don't know no one that looks like Charlton Heston. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Charlton Heston ain't look like no, no Moses in my, <laughs> in, in anything I've, I've read. So, I, like, for the first time in 136 years of the moving image, right? 136 years ago, people figured out if you take photographs and you project them and you, you rotate them, you get what's commonly known as the moving image. They made a six-second clip called Round Hay Garden Scene. That was in 1888. From 1888 to 2024, we have never, ever seen us reflected in those movies, in that moving image. You've never seen, you've never seen in a Hollywood uh, production, people like me and you go, yo, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And the Jesus of Nazareth that comes in a Hollywood movie has never been us. I remember watching um, um, Jesus Christ Superstar as a kid. And the only black person in there is Judas. I'm like, Judas? That's what you give us? I know, and the only reason they made him Judas is because his particular songs are super hard to sing. <laughs> oh, let's give the traitor to the Negro. But so my point is like, this is a, this is a film that for me, even though it's not about um, the Bible, it runs alongside right. the Bible and the Bible figures, familiar figures are in it, but it's a movie that's needed and it's a movie that we deserve. You know what I mean, Ebro? Well, I also think it's it's poignant too. I saw on social media it was moving around pretty nice this year. Um, Ethiopians celebrate Christmas on January seventh. January seventh, right? yeah. And you know, a lot of people forget that the oldest known Bible on planet Earth is in Ethiopia. Is in Ethiopia. So there's a relationship between us, right, and people that look like us, and that time period. Yeah. We've just never had it in those movies. Right. And I loved those movies as a kid. Ben-Hur, Ten Commandments, Quo Vadis, Samson and Delilah, The Robe. I love Greatest Story Ever Told. I love those movies, but I never saw us depi depicted in them. I'm familiar with the stories, but the environment that they gave us, the cinematic environment was just alien to me. It's alien to white people. No one sees environments like that, but we see environments like you do in The Heart of They Fall. Right. Even today... And everyone, would, so you watch it, everyone will be familiar with these, with these um, environments. And I, I think it's important because Hollywood stopped making those movies full stop mm. with white people or black people. They just stopped making them, which is crazy because I love biblical epics. I think it's important that kids today have a movie that they can see themselves in that time and place and have that conversation. Do you feel appreciated for your efforts here? With both Harder They Fall and obviously Book of Clarence has just come out. So we, you know, we're living in a time where that region is going through some turmoil. Um, and and people are going back to their books and going back to try to find the answers. Mm -hmm. Right. And we also live in a time of truth where, you know, the the curtain has been pulled back in many ways, both for better or for worse, because some people don't know what's real and what's not. And they don't mm -hmm. know what's fact and what's fiction. And they, you know, so there's definitely some of that going on, but I see people seeking knowledge. Yeah. 
Knowledge that I was forced to seek and read about when I was much younger, growing up in an environment in Northern California of Jews and blacks and black Israelites and nation of Islam and uh, 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 black nationalism and pan-Africanism. You were almost programmed by the universe to speak to every man. Speak to everyone. I'm, 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 that's, you know, my, my experience has been You've that. said that before. It's a crazy thing because you've lived, you've walked all lives. Hood, thingy, Muslim, Jew, yeah. just everything has been around you. Like you would just. Well, my birth name is Ibrahim Jamil. So I was given by my Jewish mother an Arabic name. Yeah. Right? And the name, my, my birth name, Ibrahim, that is the father of. Isaac and Ishmael, which is the whole story of the original, yeah, the original conflict man. Yeah. that we're dealing with. <laughs> Ebro, man. Ebro. But no, so, like, for me... So do you feel like people are getting what you're doing? Do you feel like they're picking up what you're putting down and how important it is? I'm not sure, Ebro. Like, maybe the work will speak for itself afterwards. I just know that I'm led to tell the stories that, and led to just bring the truth that's in my heart, right? And led, I'm just drawn to, almost like possessed, to bring these things to, to, to fruition. And, and when, I, when I have an idea, it haunts me until I execute it, right? From film to music. And it's an interesting thing, like when you said, do I feel appreciated, right? I never feel appreciated. Like, but I think that is because the way I'm wired, I don't need to. You're not here I'm, for that. Yeah, I'm not here for appreciation. Like, I'm probably the only filmmaker that composes the score and writes, produces, and performs the entire soundtrack and makes the song speak to the score, speak to the film, and have the words in the songs echo the, the words in the dialogue and have the dialogue speak directly to the melody of the, of the score and... But when I do it, I'm kind of just doing it second nature. When I finish, I'm like, man, I'm the best. <laughs> so because, because I appreciate myself so much, I never look for it outside, kind of. Um, let's go to one of the songs uh, in the film and on the soundtrack. Uh, you have effectively done this on the soundtrack for Harder Day Fall. I think it's important to note here that you bring the black diaspora together, Always, right? Yeah. So you have... Yourself being a cat that was raised in London in the UK. Lil Wayne, raised in the South. And then you got Shaba Ranks and Buju Bantan representing that deep cultural Caribbean island African essence. Yeah, fully. All on a record. All on one record. Talk about putting this record together. When you first see Jesus in the the movie, right? You don't see his face. The, The sun obscures his features and he's covered covered by his 12 apostles right and they stand in uniform and he walks through the tunnel of men and you hear hallelujah heaven and that song because it's the signaling of the messiah right in the film i needed the features on it to be black gods of their genre Wheezy, Shabba, Buju. And I was like, I need Shabba. I need Shabba. So first, first I contacted Shabba. Then I contacted Buju. Buju, while I was waiting for Shabba, it was like literally the, 
I contacted Shabba, he went off to do it. And Buju, I spoke to him on FaceTime. And he did it f f in 15 minutes. In, in 12 minutes, he called me back and he had laid the, laid the track. Because mm. he was in the studio. Right, right. His latest album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. was in the studio. It just so happened he was by a microphone. He said, send it to me, let me check if the vibes is real. I sent him the track. He went, Rrrr. oh my goodness. Then Shabba. Shabba Shabba's one of those ones that we were there, man. We know. Emperor. Emperor <laughs> is Shabba. Uh, so he came on, he blitzed the track, and then it was time for Wheezy. He sent the track to Wheezy. Oh, he's quick. He's ready. Wheezy was quick. And he probably lived for a moment like this to talk Man. Down. And then we shot the video. We shot me, Shabba, and, and Wayne shot in LA, and Buju shot in, in Jamaica. It was wicked, man. It's just like, just titans all on the track jamming. People don't realize that the guy that made that track is the guy that wrote and directed the movie. Again. James but, Samuel. But I'm just here to, I'm just here to deliver. So uh, the message playlist, you should go get it. It's available on Apple Music. Just type in James Samuel, which is spelled J-E-Y-M-E-S, Samuel. Like uh, the Book of Clarence, you can go get the soundtrack. It's available on Apple Music too. And we're going to get into more. You got some David Bowie on here, some Radiohead, Curtis mm. Mayfield, uh, obviously Hove. Um, and we're going to talk about Hove because he's on yeah, the soundtrack. Crazy. Sure. So we got to talk about how that whole came together. For sure. But sonically, when you and, and when you listen to the soundtrack, you as a composer, the way you pull the music together, there's a through line. Yeah. Sonic through line. Always. That obviously matches the film. Uh, talk about finding that before creating. Did, did the music come to you first? Did you film first and then compose to the film? What's the order of? That's a, a great question. I've always said, you know, because ordinarily the director would finish the film, then the composer comes on, and the composer composes to the picture. I've always said composers come on too late. Mm. When a director knows what film he's going to shoot, he should give that script immediately, find his composer, give it to him, and let the composer start working. Mm. For me, I compose the score. I start composing the score as I'm writing the script. So as I'm writing the script, I'm listening to the melodies in the dialogue, because there's no dialogue without melody. Listening to the melodies within the dialogue, and I start mapping out the melodies and motifs and themes. So by the time I finish the script, I have pretty much the whole score composed. Then I cast the movie, and actors bring their own musicality, their own melody. And so things change, you adapt. And mm. you, so what was the theme of Clarence? Will now get adapted to Lakeith's own melody, but I start, my themes and my motifs are already found by the time I write Finn, those three letters. And I believe, and it, and it helps, because when we're on set, I could play parts of the score, right? Mm. And also... And that'll inspire the actors and yeah, bring energy to the set. Absolutely. And also, you give your... Because your, the camera is the, is the device that tells the story. Your camera is always telling the story in a cinematic medium, in a film medium. So your score and your melody would influence the choreography of your camera when you know what the score is. How can you direct with no idea of what the music is going to be? And when I'm, as I'm composing the score, then I uh, start writing songs for it. So by the time, so everything happens literally all at once. Everything happens at once. The songs, the score, and the scripts all the S's, they happen all at once. And, and I believe that 
I mean, for me, it's the only way to work, right? But I believe it's the, it's such an aid to be able to have all of those things speak to each other, right? I can always, no matter what film I'm watching and how in sync a director and a composer are, I can always feel the changing of hands where the director stops and the composer starts. Mm -hmm. I can always feel it only because when you watch a James film, the score will be in the background. And as it stops, the lead actor is whistling the score. He's whistling the score. Like everything leads into each other. And that whistle turns into one of the songs and it'll be in the same key as CeeLo's Black Skin Mile. And that, so everything kind of speaks to each other as one continuous wave. Whereas I can always feel the handoff, you know, when I'm watching other, other actors. It's always, it's always one thing. Mm. You know what I mean? You're listening to The Message. My guest is James Samuel. Don't forget, my boy James has curated an entire playlist to go along with this conversation. You can get it on Apple Music. Go stream this. Go stream that. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to get a full uncut episodes of The Message in your feed every two weeks. Now back to the combo. Black Skin Mile CeeLo. Talk about this song. Peep this. And this is what I mean about how songs and score are all one thing with the movie. But it doesn't happen when they're all different people. Okay, so if you look at, no one knows this, right? No one knows this. I said it just the other day, no one, no one knows. If you take the words of Black Skin Mile, CeeLo says, I lost my shadow in a violent sin. Never knew the search will be within. Uh, drew a picture of my only desire. Take me back to Black Skin Mile. Uh, I thought my karma would be my fate. Never saw the sun until it was too late. Drew my loneliness, chasing every last high. Take me black, back to black skin mile. And that comes at the time when Cherokee Bill faces Cuffy and he gets killed. Then he walks in front of Idris Elba and died. Dies, right? You remember in the street? Ah, Lakeith Stanfield. Okay, Cherokee Bill has warned everyone and has told everyone from the beginning of that movie he does not like violence. Doesn't like violence. He warns the kid, Jim Beckwith, yeah, before he kills him. Yeah. He told this other guy, I don't want to kill people. I don't want to kill people. And in the end, he has to kill a kid. Now, when he dies, that song plays, right? As he takes the bullet. But if you take every, if you take the first word of every line from the first verse, I, Lost my shadow in a violent sin. Never knew the search would be within. Drew a picture of my... I never drew. Mm. I never drew. He doesn't draw against Cuffy. Right. He lets her kill him. So that thing, when it seems like Cuffy outdraws Yo, him... we going deep with it, I go deep. Yeah, I go deep. deep ladies, and, ladies and gentlemen, I'm James Samuel. <laughs> the illest storyteller on the planet. <laughs> Just enjoy your majestic Elohim Supreme. Like... <laughs> So, so he does this. No one knows. They think like he gets outdrawn and dies. But it's an Easter. The Easter egg is in the song that plays, Black Skin Mile. And he does that and she kills him. He lets himself die. So we never know who, who would have won. But he lets himself, he lets himself die. But that shows how intrinsically I weave the songs in and out of the, the narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I do it all together. So your level of creativity and you know. I've been blessed to be doing what I do right now for 30 years. Your level of creativity, knowledge, uh, 
historical knowledge and musical knowledge, spiritual knowledge and, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, worldly knowledge. Um, the environment you grew up in and where you've been able to use all of the lightning that has been bottled with inside you into a discipline and hit deadlines and be able to work with corporations. Like yourself. <laughs> and and yeah. flip the switch when it's time to be creative and flip another switch when it's time to be business. Like yourself. How did you, or how, how have you learned to discipline yourself? What helps you stay disciplined? Uh, was there something as a youth? Was it your mom and the level of discipline in the home? Was it becoming a, a trained musician that helped you be disciplined, right? Because there's a lot of creatives, they're not, they're creative, but they're not trained in a craft per se. They yeah. just create and then yeah. package it and get it out the door. They yeah. don't really necessarily, yeah. you know, have, have locked into a discipline. You've locked into multiple disciplines. Mm -hmm. How was that for you? as a creative? I think, you know, I think it's my mum. My mum, Ebro, like, she is a, uh, she just instilled in my head that everything is possible at such a young age that whatever it was I was going, going for, whatever it was I was, I was aiming toward, I was definitely gonna, I was definitely gonna do. So I had such drive because of the excitement of the destination I, I was going to. And that drive gave me the discipline. Also, you touched on a really interesting thing that I had never thought of myself, but playing an instrument, mm. right? Picking up an instrument. Because you... You got to obey that instrument. Man, you got to obey the instrument, Ebro. Like, at first you had a tug of war with it. Why, right? why won't this do what I... Yeah, you, you got to bow down and humble yourself you have to, humble to that humble yourself instrument. and learn these things called chords. You, you don't have the strength in your hands at first, when you're learning bar chords, the strength isn't there. And when you first start playing your C, your A minor, you're, you're getting no sound and you're, you're at a tug of war with it. You're like, okay, okay, I'd listen, okay, uh-huh. I'm listening. Uh, I'm listening. <laughs> I'm like Fraser Crane, I'm listening. Okay, tell me what to do. And then you find your language. I promise I'll be delicate. I promise, <laughs> I promise, I promise I'll be good, I promise. And then you find yourself within it and that settles you, right? right? It settles your spirit. Like being able to play an instrument settles your spirit. And then you don't necessarily write around the instrument. You kind of talk to it. You have conversations with it. And out of these conversations come songs, right? So that I've never thought about that, Ebro, but being in the hood and playing the instrument is a big, uh, is a big I mean, that's a revelation. That's a revelation. I've never, I've never thought about it before you said it, but it's a big additive. It was a, it was a massive change onto the, the pathway that, um, mm -hmm. that I went. And I think that gave me even more drive, but like a settled, a settledness. Like you're settled. I don't need to run outside. Whatever was happening outside, there was more excitement in that guitar, right? There's more excitement in that guitar than anything you could tell me. Okay, but there's 50 girls outside. Of the... Yeah, man. They'll be there. When... Watch when I hit this chord, though. Watch, where Watch they when I, I hit this C, though. You know what I mean? <laughs> Watch when I hit this C. <laughs> like, um, uh, but I'm just saying, like, whatever was going on in the universe, 
my guitar was an entire solar system. I never thought of that though. I never, never thought of, you, you regressed me. You know, they give you regressive therapy. Like, okay, oh, wow. <laughs> it changes everything. And it does. It, and also it opens your- It opens the world. It opens you, and your, your cranium is a solar system, right? And it opens your cranium and allows you to let so much more in, like melody. And just all this whole universe of, po of possibility. Then you want to take your instrument, especially a guitar. You want to take your guitar out and take it to different places in the street and and everywhere else. It does. It does. It does make a huge difference. You know what I mean? That's deep. James Samuel, the message. Uh, go get the full playlist. Speaking of guitar talk, um, hmm, you got Maggot Brain on here. I had to put Maggot Brain on there, man. Now. For those of you listening, there is a there's a place where rock, funk, and magic happened. Mm. It's a grimy, gritty, nasty place that a lot of people never wanted to go. Talk that talk. <laughs> and haven't gone since. Yeah, haven't gone since. Not properly. Nah. Is that what Maggot Brain is for you? Is it is it is it? So one of the illest interviews I've ever done, there's two of my favorites. One is Lee Scratch Perry, mm. and one is George Clinton, a mm. sober George Clinton. And Lee Scratch Perry and George Clinton are the same spirit. George Clinton told me, because I was like, what is funk? What is that? Like, what was, like, what? Yeah. What yeah. is that? What are you saying? Yeah. Like, we know what we're feeling, but what were you guys, where were you? And he said, listen, I was a, I was a songwriter for Sony. I lived in Newark, New Jersey, and I'd show up to Sony Music and we write songs. And but you know, with my songwriting friends and musician friends, we would jam. They didn't want, there was a certain space they didn't want though. Yeah. And that's what we wanted. And that's what the hood wanted. And and I think Maggot Brain is some of that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's even beyond a funk soul space. It goes, it delves off into a Yeah. If soul funk, as you said, a soul funk space, if soul funk is a space where maggot brain delves into is the black hole. Right. It's everything that Parliament Funkadelic embodied and then some. Like maggot brain is where no man has gone before. <laughs> yeah, that phrase no, where no man has gone before. That's that. That's maggot that. Brain. That's that. That's that. Maggot brain and and but even the front cover, right? right. Every single every single note hit in that song. That's not a guitar solo on there. That's a soliloquy. <laughs> right? That's not a... Maggot Brain is an encyclopedia of fear. Mm. Tells you everything you're scared of. And says, it's okay. Don't be afraid. Obey your crazy. Come forth. <laughs> and just chill. It's a, it's a really, really... Um, Maggot Brain is us. Yeah. It's us. It's, I think it's Maga Brain, like you and I would listen to it and it's everything we embody as, yeah, yeah, as yeah, individual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything Ebro embodies as, as a individual. Everything James embodies as an individual. We hear Maga Brain, it's like our national anthem. Yeah. It's like, it's almost, Maga Brain is like a call to arms. Yes, it is. You know what I mean? It, it is that. You sit upright. Yeah. You pay attention. Yeah. It's grimy. You know, Maga Brain is, is like what Jeffrey Rush said to Kira Knightley in the first Pirates of the Caribbean, here they be monsters. Like it's, it's, don't come over, it's not safe. This maggot brain, you know what I mean?
James Samuel, I think you just said um, what your next foray, your next foray, yeah, foray, yeah, a black pirate film. Mm. And you know there's mad black pirates. Well, that whole thing was black pirates. Caribbean. The whole no, the whole thing is black pirates. The whole story of pirating, pirating, is black people. Listen, man. Because the Africans was not. Why you think they was Columbus and them was trying to go the other way? Let me tell you something. They Columbus and them was trying to go the long way because they was not trying to deal with all of them black the, exactly. pirates around. And they were already making ways internationally. Them yeah. pirates were making ways internationally. I think I think Ebro just gave us <laughs> the next genre we have to. Yo, black pirate films. Everyone listening, do some research and send us. Yeah, all of it. All of it. All of it. All of it. We'll a call, lot of it. Yeah, we'll call it a lot on. of it. Um, you got Cher on here. Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves. A lot of people don't give Cher her credit. I want to get to that. Uh, we got some Hove we got to get to. And speaking of Hove, uh, as we do the message conversation, mm. we're going to double back to the book of Clarence right here. Um, there is a nine-minute Jay-Z D'Angelo song on this soundtrack. Nine minutes. Everybody's talking about it. I think it was a year or change ago where Hove spit for four minutes on a DJ mm. Khaled song. Mm. So when I heard about the song, I was like, my guess is James and D'Angelo are going to music it out. Let that breathe. And then somewhere, Hove is going to come through, pull up. You're psychic, Ebro. He don't, it's, not a long, it's not a long verse like... No, nah, I didn't. Uh, uh, God did, like on, like on God did with, with DJ Khaled and Rose and, and Wheezy. But Jay on this, he kind of, it's almost like Jay in a spoken word bag. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? But it's exactly what you described. It's nine minutes of soulful biblical bliss. It's, and you know why it's nine minutes? Because why not? <laughs> that song is nine minutes, 33 seconds. I didn't even do a radio edit. I was like, no. No. It's D'Angelo going full D'Angelo. Then it swims into Hove. And Hove is just talking to you. I'm just talking to you. He's talking, talking. And D'Angelo takes it back. And when you listen to it, it's something to, it's music to ride to. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. music to be in your house to. It's music to, it's soul. Soul. Not R&B. No. R&B meant rhythm and blues. There's not a lot of rhythm and blues these days. This is soul. This is rhythm and blues. This is, it's black music. It's black music, man. Yeah. You know what it's I mean? That real feel. Yeah, it's in, it's in your it's in your 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 phone book right now. <laughs> I sent it to you. Bang, whole lot. But yeah, it's a it's a it's, it's, it's a, a beautiful record. James Samuel's on the message, man. Um, doubling back to the book of Clarence. You know, I haven't had a chance to see the film yet. My guess from the trailer was that Clarence is the first clout chaser in history. You, you actually said that online. <laughs> I burst out laughing. I was like, Ebro just gets it. The f I mean, technically, the first clout chaser. Because he's like, oh. Yeah. Oh, that's what the people want? Yeah. <laughs> I and got you. <laughs> and, and he sees Jesus, like, his friend's like, I want to be like that in 10 years. I want to be like that now. Look at them. Protected. Influential. Clarence wants that clout, but for good reason. Like, 
he's going about it the wrong way, but he wants to get his mother out of the position she's right, in. Right, 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 he right. wants to show that he's a some, somebody and he's not a nobody. A lot of the things that we experience in the hood, Clarence wants to do, he's an everyman. But I do think he's the first on record recorded clout chaser yeah. in the history of, of man. In the yeah. history, I think clout started in 33 AD. <laughs> yep, it's Clarence. It's Clarence. So, so uh, um, how did you come up with the book of Clarence, that name? What is that? What is Because what it was is a hundred million years ago, when I was a kid, I used to watch those movies and I used to love them, right? So I, I knew as an early teen that I'm going to do one of those films. I'm going to tell that story. And then about 2005, I started taking notes on the Book of Clarence. Like, okay, I wanted him to have a regular name. Okay. You know what I mean? And not like a biblical, a biblical name. You wanted him to be every man. Every, every man, guy. right? Yeah. And then, so I started taking notes on, the, on, on what would be the Book of Clarence. And I wrote the first song for it, Verinia. I reached out to this man called Terry Callier, um, who's a legendary folk artist from Chicago. And I told him I'm going to make this film one day. And I've got this song. And if you sing it with me. And he heard the song. He didn't know me from Adam. And he sung the song with mm. me, right? And he passed away in 2012. Mm. Right? But I made that film, Terry, Mr. Callier. I made the film, I, I promise you, almost 20 years ago. And in 2017, while me and you were kicking it, we were making... Um, Legacy. Yeah. 444. That's Remember right. Remember that whole period, right? Yeah. Because you was in LA that yeah. period. And while I was making Legacy, I wrote the script for the book of Clarence. Mm. I'd taken so much notes. Myself and Jay-Z's relationship, we'd created a lot of stuff, but at this point we started talking film, 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 film. And we had spoken so much on Clarence, I just knew it was time to write it for whatever reason. It's almost like our relationship waited till it got to a particular point for me to write the book of Clarence. And I wrote the book of Clarence, the script, and that was it. Then it was the, it was the book of Clarence and the harder they fall. And I ended up making the harder they fall first and went straight, straight into the book of Clarence after then. But it was almost 20 years in the making, right? But it didn't seem that way. You know, when you're making something, when you're, when, if you're definitely going to do something, it doesn't seem like it, it takes so long. You're just doing you're it because it. it's who you are. You're in, it. you're in it. You're in the movie of making the movie. You're in the world of creating that, that world. So things never seem as long. When you, look, when you stop and you look back, you go, wow, that was a couple of decades. But it never seems like it. And now it seems like it was always meant to come out at this time. I love that. I yeah. Love that. Well, congratulations, man. Thank you, King. Uh, and now like we're here and it's strange like because Ebro you, you love as, telling yeah man because Ebro's <laughs> interviewing me but Ebro was there at the beginning so we talk so, so for you I see you smiling like okay use that at the beginning of this yeah. at the beginning of, at the beginning of that at the beginning of the pirates <laughs> the pirates joint yeah, so the pirates but it's a beautiful out. thing because even seeing Ebro like on Apple like, if this was a few years ago, if I made this a few years ago, we would have been yeah. somewhere else. No, and... we could be there too. I got yeah. that. It's all going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. High, all that. Yeah, yeah. Nice yeah. All we'll, that. Do, we'll do all of it. But, it's, but I do like Apple as well. You know what I mean? And we love Apple. James Samuel, uh, go check the book of Clarence. Um, I'm so appreciative uh, of your work. 
Um, I'm happy for you as just a friend. My brother. Um, I know how hard you work and how much you care. My brother. About yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and from what I know, you're doing it for all the right reasons. Yeah. Right? Always. Um, and uh, you're a remarkable talent. You're loved. Your people want to work with you. My brother. Um, and they trust you because you're you're you've honed your craft to to precision <laughs> to pre to to precision i saw a clip um i was on instagram maybe it was on your page of you playing hove on the set so everybody got their you know biblical garb on yeah 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 yeah, yeah. cuz because i always say the movie we make is for the audience right but the making of the movie is for us. Uh -huh. The film you make is for the public, but the making of the film is for us. And I think directors forget that a lot of times. Directors are so intensely focused on making the movie, they forget the environment, which, man, your, your background actors, your extras and stuff, they're freezing cold. Right? They're freezing cold, these people. Right? Your actors are having to come in and out of character. Like, and, and acting is, is a muscle. It, get, it gets... Cole, not me. When I arrive on set, the moment I arrive on set, I have my sound team. They rig the entire environment up musically with speakers. And I blast music to kingdom come. From the minute I arrive at set to the minute we rap. Every day. Ebro, if there's a five-minute break, music. go on my Instagram now. Just type James in Instagram. We'll take you there. If there's a five-minute break, Ebro, I blast off music like okay what we playing bang and it's a big musical moment and the film crew on this um movie was italian but afterwards they were like okay no they'll all pull out their phones they'll all start filming they all start enjoying and i'll always play music that's not from the scene but in the vibe of the scene we're about to shoot so for the actors they can stay in their character in their or in their character's emotion right and i remember playing a uh, Ennio Morricone's soundtrack to Once Upon a Time in America. And I saw the film crew, the Italian film crew, start crying, mm. crying. And the guy came to me in tears. I know in what that 33 means. years, in 33 years of being on the film set, I've never felt this energy. Thank you so much. He was hugging me and hugging me and hugging me. People forget that the only thing you're left with is the memory of making that, of making that movie. So we have to just blast off musically all the time. My film sets are the best film sets in the world. Ask anybody that's been on them. It's James Samuel. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, this guy. Let's rap, man. This guy's getting out of control. The message. Don't push me. Call up close to the edge. An open dialogue about the voices of today and their experiences through music that inspires them.